Welcome to Talk Money on AM 990. And now here's your host, Jim Shoemaker. And a good morning to you. Good Friday freezing morning. You know, we've had that entire week of relatively different type of weather for Memphis, Tennessee. And But I don't know what we're all sitting around here surprised. We've had no winter. It's just only been very comfortable, easy going. But it was time, and we kind of got it slammed pretty hard, Art, don't you think? I mean, starting Monday, it just uh, and it's been going the whole week. And I think everybody's anticipating at least 20 inches of snow today. But, of course, that's not going to happen. And uh, I'm looking forward to it warming up by, you know, afternoon 40, 45 tomorrow. Beautiful, rainy Saturday. But, hey, if anything beats ice and snow. Am I right, guys? Absolutely. Well, you're just listening to Eleanor Moscovich and Rob Clement. They're with me this morning, and we're going to be talking with Kurt Zarnowski. We're not here to talk about the weather with Kurt. Kurt is our expert when it comes to Social Security. He is a frequent guest of ours. And as everybody knows, you you know, when you find somebody that's got the expertise, you like to tap into that expertise. And we do this frequently with Kurt and everybody. We have a lot of people that listen. A lot of people go to the iPod later on and listen to the podcast, and uh, you can do that, simply type into iTunes, go to Shoemaker Financial, and you can pull up this program that will be available to you later on this afternoon. Kurt, what are the questions that we get? And by the way, we've got a lot of questions. We're going to cover some of this, uh, the basics, but we've had a, a lot of people that since we did the last program have either phoned in or written us letters or stuff and say, what about this? What about this? So we've got a couple of those what ifs that we want to talk to sure. you about too. So, But first of all, let's start with how does Social Security calculate the benefit amount, and that's the kind of the first phase of this whole program. How do, how do we start? What's the basis? Sure, and, and Jim, I always like to start these shows by saying, you know, I worked for Social Security for 34 years. As I've talked to folks, last 20 years of my career there, I was a communications director, and what I discovered is the myths and misunderstandings about Social Security are, 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 are staggering. And one of the big areas of myth or misunderstanding is this whole issue of how are benefits calculated. And Social Security calculates somebody's benefit by using a formula that Congress has written right into the Social Security law. Now, there is a relationship between your work and earnings and what you ultimately collect each month in Social Security payments, but it's not a perfect correlation. But in calculating a benefit, the first step that Social Security does do, it goes back, looks at all of your prior earnings, and it's earnings that were subject to Social Security tax, and then adjusts those earnings upward to account for inflation. So they're leveling the playing field, if you will. But then here's the second step is where the big myth comes into play, because Social Security then plucks out and averages your highest, wait for it, 35 years of earnings. I don't know how many folks I've talked to mistakenly think it's your high three or your last five like some other pension systems that might be out there. Uh-uh. Social Security benefits are calculated by averaging your highest 35 years of work under the system. So what happens if you don't have 35 years? Well, unfortunately, there's no provision for that. And Social Security will take a look. And if you don't have 35 years with something, then zeros mm. get added in. It lowers your average monthly wage and lowers your monthly benefits. So it's your highest 35 years that get averaged. And as I said, there is a relationship between your work and your earnings, but the system is a progressive one. It's social insurance. So the formula does try and help people in lower paying jobs by replacing a higher percentage of their pre-retirement income, somewhere in the neighborhood of 55%. 
Higher earner over his or her lifetime, yeah, they receive more each month than that low-wage earner, but the system actually replaces a smaller percentage, somewhere in the neighborhood of 34%. But the big takeaway for listeners today is they just need to realize the Social Security payment designed to replace for the average worker around 41% of someone's pre-retirement income. In no case, high earner, low earner, or average earner, is it intended to replace 100% of your pre-retirement income it's always been intended to provide you with this base or foundation of income protection. You can count on being there, but it's a base or foundation that people need to take steps to supplement because it was never intended to be their only source of income. So key takeaway, two, two key takeaways, 35 years get averaged, intended to replace around 41% of pre-retirement income for the average worker. You've got to find ways to supplement And it. we always tell our listeners that when you think about that 41%, that is a good base. The second part should be your 401k, your retirement plan for where you work. And then the third one, it's a three-legged stool. The third source would be that source of private money that you've set aside. And what we found out earlier with Eleanor's statistic, a lot of people don't set aside that third, that third part. So let me ask you this, Kurt, and I guess uh, can spouses, uh, divorce spouses, widows, uh, those people, can they, how do they collect or can they collect uh, as far as on that, you know, the spouse that was working? I'm talking about specifically, I guess, divorced spouses, widows, and collecting benefits. Let's talk about how they do that. Sure. Uh, just let me throw out one number before I move into that. 2015, the average Social Security retirement benefit being paid, 1328 bucks a month, Jim. 1328 average you benefit. Know, and Rob had a comment on that, too, Rob. You said that the average, uh, what was the number that you had earlier? Well, it was the year before. The it year was uh, $1,295. Okay. So, Kurt, it's gone up a little, a little bit, bit since, yeah. uh, since sure. 2014. We'll, we'll get to spouses in a second. Yeah, it's because Social Security... Not only is it a defined benefit pension, if you will, but it also does have guaranteed inflation protection built in with an annual cost of living increase. And with that cost of living increase that was announced last fall that went into effect for benefit payments that started in the month of January, that 1.7% COLA, that was part of the reason why that average benefit went up. Okay. But anyway, spousal benefits. Always like to remind listeners, Jim, every time I'm on Social Security, it really is a family protection program, provides income protection for workers and their families against a variety of things happening. You know, we've talked about disability in the past. We've talked about some survivor issues, but it also provides income for family members or former family members of workers who retire. And so you retire from Social Security you have a spouse, uh, it is possible for that spouse to collect a monthly Social Security payment, the amount of which is going to be based on what your work and earnings have been. Just in the same way, if you were married then divorced, it is possible for that ex-spouse to collect that Social Security retirement benefit based on the individual's work history. Now, for divorced spouses to collect, few conditions have to be met. First and foremost, the marriage needs to have lasted more than 10 years prior to the divorce. Second, for that divorced spouse to collect, he or she cannot be married, cannot be married. And third, divorced spouse has to be at least age 62. And with those conditions being met and that primary worker having either reached age 62 or having filed for benefits, then that divorced spouse can collect the social security payment as well. But here's the last key thing, and I'll let you jump back in. With spousal benefits, divorce spousal benefits, and with survivor benefits, we talked about it, 
people need to understand the way the program is set up that you will collect a monthly payment based either on that spousal amount or based on your own work record. You don't collect on both at once. And the spousal benefit rate, divorce spousal benefit rate, is going to be 50% of the primary worker's full retirement age amount, 50%. So if your own Social Security payment is higher than what you could collect as a spouse or a divorced spouse, you don't collect both at the same time, one or the other. Okay. Eleanor, I know you have a question because there's been some times in your life that this has been important. Yes, yes, there has. And what I was thinking, I'm actually helping my mom right now, who's been widowed for a year, and um, helping her with her, you know, getting used to living on Social Security on one Social Security, not not two. And one thing we found out, she was married to my dad for 25 years, and they divorced. Uh And then she remarried, and she was remarried again for over 25 years. Okay. okay? So she's getting this social security for the second husband, but we found out she actually could make, get more from from my father's income. So that's what we're trying to work out now. We're we're trying to find paperwork to prove that they were divorced. Uh, (laughs) And that's what we're having to come up with. So so, so that's a very interesting point though. They were two and, and obviously over a long period of time. And you're finding that they can go all the way back to get the higher of the two. Is that, is that a problem, right? Kurt? Is that is that good? Oh well, I mean that's an important consideration. As I said, you collect on one account or the other. Social Security will help you figure out which one provides you the higher monthly income, or Eleanor, in your mom's case, provide her with the higher monthly income. But she's not going to continue to collect what she's receiving and that other benefit right. as a divorced spouse, one or the other. But basically, Social Security will require folks to provide documentation. For example, the marriage lasted at least 10 years prior to the divorce and things like that. But with that documentation in place, Social Security stands ready, willing, and able to get her the higher monthly payment. Absolutely. Right. If you if you just tuned in, we want to make sure everybody knows we're talking with Kurt Zarnowski. He has 30, over 30 years of experience working with Social Security, Zarnowski Consulting, and uh, we're talking about Social Security benefits. And uh, if you've got questions, you just simply just type that in, tell us what the, the questions are. We'll try to get those questions out later on. We're answering a lot of the questions that we've been sent for this program. One of the questions, and Rob, I guess the question that, that, that a lot of people ask is, is, is working. So you ask that question that you've had earlier about working. Can a person collect and continue to work? Absolutely. Uh, Kurt, uh, do you need some further clarification on that question? No, that uh, teed that one up nicely, Rob. <laughs> so question I often get, you know, can I work and collect Social Security benefits at the same time? The answer to this derived from the key piece of information that drives a lot of features of the program. And I always say when you're thinking about Social Security, first point, you need to understand what is called your full retirement age for Social Security purposes, because a lot of features of the program flow from having at least reached your full retirement age. Now, when the program started way back when, this full retirement age was 65 for everybody. The month you turned 65, you reached your Social Security full retirement age. Well, full retirement's been increasing These days, for anyone born between 1943 and 1954, Social Security full retirement age is 66, but it continues to increase. Tops out that anyone born 1960 or later has a Social Security full retirement age of 67. So whenever you're 
or talking about Social Security issues, just make sure you know what your full retirement age is. Now, as far as working goes, if you're looking to collect a benefit prior to your full retirement age, and this applies whether you're collecting a retirement benefit, a spousal benefit, a divorce spousal benefit, or a survivor benefit, you are limited in the amount of money you can make each year before it begins to impact your ability to collect. 2015, you're allowed to make up to $15,720 without any loss of benefits. But if you make over that, Social Security starts to hold back $1 in benefit payments for each $2 that you're over. So what counts towards that $15,720? Two things only, wages or net income from self-employment. In other words, earned income. That whole world of unearned income, a VA benefit, General Motors pension, 401k distributions, none of that counts. But 15, 7, 20 in earned income or less, you can collect all 12 months. So, Kurt, let's... The good let's... news, though, is, let me just finish. The good news is once you hit your full retirement age, though, the month you hit full retirement age on, there is no earnings limitation whatsoever. You can work and earn as much as you want without any loss of benefits. So if I hear you correctly, then uh, Social Security benefits are subject to federal income taxes. That's correct. Well, potentially subject to federal income tax. Okay. Well, Taxation of benefits has been around since 1983. Congress changed the law, put in those thresholds that if you exceeded income thresholds, then yes, you'd have to pay federal income tax on a portion of your benefits. Okay. That first year, set the thresholds as $25,000 for a single tax filer, 32000 for a couple. If you're above that, then you'd have to treat up to 50% of your Social Security benefits as regular, ordinary income, be subject to federal income tax. That first year, about 10% of Social Security folks paid income tax. Congress, though, didn't index those thresholds, so it's still at $25,000 or more for a single tax filer, 32 or more for a couple filing jointly. You're now going to have to treat up to 85% of your Social Security payments as federal income tax. So right now these days, probably about 50% of all Social Security beneficiaries do find themselves having to pay federal income tax on their benefits. But if you're below those or that income threshold for a single tax filer or couple filing jointly, then no, you don't pay income tax on your um, Social Security benefits, but above those thresholds, up to 85% of the money you'd received in the prior year does become subject to federal income tax. Tuned in. Uh, my guest is Kurt Zornowski. We are along with Eleanor Moskovitz and Rob Clement. We're talking specifically about some some things about uh, the idea behind Social Security and, and what you're trying to do and, and how you put it together. We found out that earlier 41% is about what you expect to replace in income from Social Security. There's three things you need to look at. Social Security, your 401k plan or retirement plan from work, and your own private savings plan. Those are the kind of the three-legged stool when you think about doing some retirement planning and Social Security being of the base side, and that's what Kurt is talking about. Kurt, I heard something the other day, Now I cannot verify this, and maybe you can help me with this, but um, somebody gave me a statistic, and guys, you'll this will knock your socks off, that if you looked at Social Security and all the different options, now again, I did not verify it, so you know, it's some of those things you get off the internet. They said there were 8,000 different things, wow. options that you could get with Social Security. Mm. That's a biggie. Mm, wow. But here's the deal. 
Art has got one that I think is a great question, and it was one of those questions. And again, it's one of those 8,000 different ways mm. that you can look at Social Security and how you put it together. So, Kurt, lead out, and uh, here comes Art, and he's going to ask you this uh, very good question. Hi, Kurt. Um, my question is, if I'm married to my first spouse for 10 years. And now this is not, this is a right. this, hypothetical. Your spouse is listening, <laughs> right, by the right. way. <laughs> my ex-wife and I were married for 10 years. Right. I get remarried. My ex does not. If I pass away and my ex decides to claim Social Security benefits off of me, does that affect my current spouse's take home? Uh, and the answer is absolutely not. Any eligibility for a divorced spouse is absolutely, totally, completely independent of anyone else who might be on the record. So, Art, for example, you haven't even passed away yet. You file for benefits. <laughs> you're alive. Your current wife collects spousal benefits on you. Your ex-spouse can collect that divorced spousal benefit up to that 50% of your full retirement age amount, and that won't impact either your benefit or your current spouse's benefit. So, totally absolutely completely independent of one another um one of the the points that are built into the law because they they recognize it's uh, important for those divorced spouses to have at least some sort of income stream because they may not have had a uh career in the workforce. Right. That's that's a great question, Art. I mean, that's so important. And again, we are, we're talking with Kurt Zornowski, and, and the key is, this is important, and it's important information for all of us. And if you like this program, go to iTunes, just uh, type in Shoemaker Financial, or you can like us on Facebook, because you can always find uh, a lot of our information on Facebook. But here's the question that seems to be kind of the, the dominant concern for a lot of people. Now, Kurt, let me kind of tell you what's going on. We've had some people, as we've worked with them, and Rob's working. Rob's got a a Social Security class coming up, Rob. It's uh, Tell us when it is. Yep, uh, Thursday the 26th of February okay. at uh, 2 o'clock. So that's all right. That's coming up next week. That's right, in our uh, office. In, in our offices, and you're yep. going to talk about Social Security. Are you yep. flying Kurt down? Are you all doing that? Is that <laughs> uh, Somehow I've got a feeling Kurt will be there. <laughs> He'll be shuff- <laughs> shoveling snow, but he'll be using a lot of his information. That's right. right. Well, and the key is, is everybody asks questions. And here's a question, Kurt, that they've, they've gone online, and they've ended okay. up having to talk to someone. And you talked about it a year or two ago, foul and suspend. And it seems to be getting a ton of traction and people talking about it. About it and the importance of it, and yet they get a pushback when they talk to the person at the Social Security office as if, why do you want to file and suspend? Just don't file. And I want you to explain that to us. Sure. And so this whole file and suspend term flows from something in the Senior Citizen Freedom to Work Act, which was passed back in the year 2000. And basically, it says that once someone has reached full retirement age. We talked earlier about the importance of knowing what your full retirement age is. Under the terms of the law now, a person can file an application for benefits and then immediately ask to have their monthly payments suspended. And why would you want to have your payments suspended? Well, by asking to have your payments suspended, you won't receive a benefit, but you will therefore earn what are called delayed retirement credits. And for each month past your full retirement age that you don't collect a Social Security payment, your benefit is increased by two-thirds of a percent or 8% per year up until age 70. So by filing and suspending, you're not going to collect anything, but by doing that, 
you'll earn those delayed retirement credits. And if you defer for the full four years that you can, payment that you receive at age 70 will be 32% higher than the amount you would have collected had you started at full retirement age. Now, there's two ways the file and suspend strategy come into play. One is spousal benefits. Because one of the issues in spousal benefits is the spouse can't collect anything until the primary wage earner has at least applied for benefits. So if you have a situation where the primary wage earner wants to earn those delayed retirement credits, wants to increase the eventual payment, because it will also eventually increase the eventual survivor benefit that might be paid, but wants to get some money for the spouse right away by filing and suspending, it allows both those things to happen. Deferred, delayed retirement credits on the individual's own benefit, but it will then assuming the spouse is at least age 62, permit spousal benefits to be paid. Second issue, though, and I think this is the one you're getting at, Jim, is, so let's say it's a single individual, no spousal situation, no survivor benefit. You want to sit there, you want to wait until full, uh, until age 70 to start to collect, but you're at your full retirement age. And the question always is, is there an advantage to filing and suspending at your full retirement age? And in my view, there may well be, and let me explain how it works. So you've got two people, both of whom full retirement age of 66, neither of whom wants to wait, uh, both of whom want to wait, neither wants to start collecting until age 70. First person just does what I call watchful waiting, sits there, does nothing. Second person, though, goes to Social Security at full retirement age, files an application for benefits, and then immediately asks to have his payment suspended. Now, here's the deal. In both cases... Four years go by, nothing happens. At age 70, both will collect a monthly benefit 32% higher than the amount they would have earned or received at full retirement age. Those delayed retirement credits accrue simply because you're not collecting money. doesn't matter whether you're not collecting because you've asked to have your payment suspended or you're not collecting because you just haven't applied yet. But the issue comes in, what if something happens? So this, both people, age 66, one files and suspends, one does nothing. Two years later, hey, a wicked snowstorm comes along <laughs> and blows the roof off your house. <laughs> That's great. That first person, that first person who has filed and suspended has the ability at that point to go back to Social Security and ask to have any or all of the monthly payments that have been held repaid in a lump sum, repaid in a lump sum. By filing and suspending, you hold open the option of getting any and all of those suspended benefits repaid to you in a lump sum. That person who does nothing two years later, needs the money from Social Security, can go and apply for benefits at that point. But if you have not yet applied, you can receive a maximum of six months of retroactive payments. Now, the last little wrinkle is, the trade-off is, so that first person asks for two years' worth of benefits to be repaid in a lump sum, well, the monthly payment rate is going to be the age 66 monthly rate. Mm -hmm. You will have foregone that delayed retirement credit 8% per year increase that you've been accruing. That second person files, asks for six months of retroactive payments at age 68. Well, the monthly rate is going to be the age 67 and a half rate, so the monthly rate will be higher and continue higher. But 
the advantage to filing and suspending at full retirement age as opposed to doing nothing is, as I said, holds open the possibility that if you need the money paid back in a lump sum, you can do so. Whereas if you haven't applied for benefits yet, you're limited to six months of retroactive benefits in a lump sum. So what you're talking about is an enormous amount of flexibility, and that's what happens when people are looking at this. The the reality is when they talk to someone at the Social Security office, and Kurt, they're pushed back and said, hey, you can't do that. In fact, we had one client to call and say, hey, I was told that it's illegal to do that. What do they say to that person? You were director of communications for years. How does how does the client say something back to the person at the Social Security office when he says, well, you can't do that, that's illegal? How do well, you respond? You know, I think it's, well, I think it's like any other service organization. You know, you go into a retail store or something like that or any place where you don't get satisfaction from the service you're talking to, or getting from the first-line person you're talking to. Just kick it up the food chain. Ask to speak to a supervisor. That makes that's, uh, the one bit of recommendation is uh, just ask to speak to to a supervisor. Yeah, that's that's a great point. Just uh, move it up the food chain. And again, uh, the polite person that's asking the questions, if he stays polite, usually gets a good answer. Absolutely. That's, uh, Absolutely. that's just for, for, I guess for, I'm just really saying to our listeners, don't go take what we're saying here and go in and say, hey, Kurt said, but, you know, <laughs> that wouldn't be too bad, though. It <laughs> takes us out of it, guys. Right. You know? But the reality is we're trying to give you information. If you're listening and it's good information, it's quality information, it's very technical information, but take that information and then politely, as you're talking to someone, work your way to understand. You know what's going on and you know what's, what's happening from that standpoint and that's, that's important. Kurt, you talk about something that says claim some now and then claim more later. H- help us with that. Sure, and that's another strategy folks need to think about. Now, it pertains to couples, all right? You've got, and, and, and Jim, program's totally gender neutral, but let's say the husband is the one who's interested in deferring. The wife has worked, paid into the Social Security program and is currently collecting benefits. Husband wants to defer, but is wondering, is there something I can do to get me some money while I'm waiting? This claim some now, claim more later strategy says if the husband goes to Social Security at full retirement age, there's that key point again, he has the ability to apply for and receive just a spousal benefit. By doing that, he'll receive 50% of his wife's full retirement age amount. He won't be required to apply for his own retirement benefits, so he'll begin to earn those delayed retirement credits. And four years later, files for his own retirement benefit at that point, gets a payment that's 32% higher than his full retirement age amount would have been, but he'll have been collecting this spousal payment in the meantime. Key thing, though, is he has to be at full retirement age because you go to Social Security before reaching your full retirement age, you don't have that option of just taking the spousal benefit. You're required to take your own benefit first, and if your own exceeds 50%, the spouse's amount, then no spousal benefits do. You collect solely on your own account. But at full retirement age, you can claim some now. That's that spousal benefit. And then at age 70, although you don't have to wait all the way until age 70, apply for your own benefit at that point and get some more because it will have been earning those delayed retirement credits. Here's the thing, Jim. This may be the one instance where somebody at full retirement age doesn't want to file and suspend. Because if you go in, your wife's collecting, husband goes into the office and says, I want to file and suspend. Well, he certainly can do that. But by filing and suspending, 
you prevent yourself or preclude yourself from getting that spousal payment that we've talked about in this claim some now, claim more later strategy. So, but it's full retirement age, applying for just the spousal benefit, allows deferral on your own, earn those delayed retirement credits. So it's something to think about. All right, Kurt, let's, uh, let's uh, think about this, too. Uh, since December 2010, what's happened with the do-over? Sure. A lot. <laughs> well, or not a lot, I guess. You know, prior to December 2010, Social Security had in place this do-over that people had written about. Because Social Security has always had a process by which if you change your mind about applying for benefits, you could undo what you had done. Technical term was that you would withdraw the application that you had previously filed. And for Social Security to grant that withdrawal request, you simply repaid any benefits that you would receive. The key thing was Social Security never charged interest. And so what evolved as a strategy was recognition. For example, somebody go to Social Security at age 62, file for and receive reduced retirement benefits. Collect, 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 and then say at age 70, although they didn't have to wait all the way until age 70, could go back to Social Security and say, changed my mind. I want to undo what I had done, say, eight years ago in our example. Social Security go fine. They figure out how much he'd collected in that eight-year period. Write a, tell them how much, and no interest would be charged. person could repay that amount, file a new application the following day. Their benefit rate going forward would not be the age 62 rate they had started at. It would be the age 70 rate. And if you think about it, person would have, in essence, received an interest-free loan from Social Security during this period of time. Struck the commissioner of Social Security as wrong. So end of 2010, they tightened up the rules for the do-over or changing your mind. Now, if you do change your mind, you can undo what you've done, withdraw the application, repay benefits, no interest being charged, and file a new application at a later date, but only if you do so within 12 months of starting to collect your payments. And you can do it once in a lifetime. And so it really brings that whole idea back to the original concept that, gee whiz, you file for retirement benefits and then you change your mind and discover it's not right for you. You shouldn't be locked into that choice. And so thinking now is, you know, you have about a year to, to decide whether that's the right choice. And any time within that first year, you can certainly undo repay without interest being charged. But beyond that, um, you're pretty well locked in. Yeah, I know, Kurt, you said choice, and uh, we've got to go take a break. But very briefly, there are some ways, some planning tools to help people make some choices. Would you tell us about that real quick? I mean, I, I know you've got sure. SocialSecurity.gov, but what, what else? Sure, and, and basically Social Security has tried to play a role in helping people plan for retirement. They've mailed for years and years and years an annual Social Security statement, come out paper form three months before your birthday. Well, some changes have been made in the mailing of the statement. What people need to understand is it's now possible to go online, set up a Social Security account, and with that Social Security account in place, you can request a Social Security statement for yourself online anytime you want. You don't need to wait to three months before your birthday. But you can also, online at SocialSecurity.gov, use the online retirement estimator. Mm -hmm. And the beauty of the estimator is works with your own Social Security earnings record, but now you're able to develop what-if scenarios. That paper social security statement or the online statement is pretty static. You know, it gives you a, a set of numbers which are fine, good for planning. But if you're interested in figuring out, oh, what would happen to my social security benefit if I quit work at 58 or went part-time or whatever, that online retirement estimator. 
is a powerful tool, all designed bringing us right back to where we started to understand that Social Security provides you that base, that foundation, but never supposed to be your only source of income. And the sooner you recognize that and work to find ways to supplement your Social Security, the more likely you are to have that comfortable retirement. That's all that I thought I was enjoying till the snow came. (laughs) There you go. Uh, You just tuned in. Of course, you can find this program. Go to iTunes. Search for Shoemaker Financial. This program will be on the you know the iTunes box in just not just a couple of hours probably. So uh, just check it out. We'll be right back because we got to look at weather and traffic. And uh, after that, we'll come back with Kurt Zarnowski from Zarnowski Consulting. This is Talk Money on WKWAM nine ninety. Take a second and think about the three most important goals or priorities in your life right now. At Shoemaker Financial, their team of qualified and experienced financial professionals is committed to helping you achieve these goals or priorities. From insurance needs to college funding, retirement, or estate planning, Shoemaker Financial is here to help you accomplish your long-term financial objectives. To learn more, visit ShoemakerFinancial.com or contact them at 901-757-5757. At Shoemaker Financial, it's not just the plan, it's the results. Welcome back. I'm Jim Shoemaker. You're listening to Talk Money. Our guest has been Kurt Zarnowski. And Kurt, before we go, sir, I want to tell you, thank you. You just always do a great job for us. I know our listening audience likes it and enjoys it. And I know several people that were tuned in today because they knew that from Boston is Mr. Kurt Zarnowski. And they knew you were on the air, so they were listening specifically for what you're talking about. Sir, I want to say again, thank you very much. And I think I'm going to be back on on May 15th. And that's always a very good program. And by the way, give that. I know you got a grandson's going to have a birthday coming up. Give him a big hug for us, okay? I will be happy to. Thank you. Thank you, sir. And have a great day. You know, guys, Alrighty. we cannot express the fact that what he does and how he takes something that's extremely complicated mm-hmm. and brings it down to a very easy to understand idea. Yes. Yes. This is, I mean, I'm sitting here and it just can be so overwhelming, all these different possibilities. And it to me, it just shows even the importance of getting a financial planner and, and helping out with all this. Because for me, it's just really confusing. You want to make the right choice, the right decision. And it's overwhelming for the average person. Well, it is overwhelming. And I know, you know, Rob, you do something that's very specific. And in a short time we've got left, how do you describe that for our client? I just call it the Social Security Decision Tree. There's just four questions that I ask, and they're all either yes or no questions. And uh, the questions start with, do you need the income now? Second question, do you have earnings from work? Third question, are earnings and limits and tax implications acceptable to you? And the fourth question is, what's your life expectancy? And if married, what's your spouse's life expectancy? Well, and the great thing about it is you can tune into that Social Security seminar hosted by Rob Clement and Jim Whitehead. That's February the 26th at 2 o'clock at the office. Just call Judy at 757-5757 or talk about Financial Boot Camp hosted by Dane Williams and Nathan Powell. That's also February the 26th, but it's at 6 o'clock and it's at Shoemaker Financial. And you can just simply call again, 757-5757. I'm Jim Shoemaker. We've been talking with Kurt Zanowski. We've had Eller Moskovich with us. We've had Rob Clement. And, of course, as always, producer and board operator Art Frederick. Guest in contact. Content coordination is Francis Fortner. Production assistants, Eleanor Moskovich and Katie Brashear. Compliance, Jeff Along. And he does a great job for us. Mid-South History Moments, Rebecca Brazier and Drew Johnson. This is a great program. It's here to help you make the most of your money. I'm Jim Shoemaker. 
Baker Financial and Securian Financial Services are not affiliated with Kurt Zarnowski or Zarnowski Consulting. Shoemaker Financial and Securian Financial Services do not provide tax or legal advice. Individuals should always consult their tax and legal professionals regarding their own specific situation. Jim Shoemaker and Rob Clement are registered representatives and investment advisor representatives of Securian Financial Services Incorporated, securities dealer, member FINRA, SIPC. A registered investment advisor, Shoemaker Financial is independently owned and operated.